This is Clay from Skilled Gentleman Podcast. You're listening to today's survival show with Bob Main. Hello, everybody. I'm Bob Main. Welcome to another episode of today's survival show, helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. This is the 273rd episode for today's survival show, a practical show. I don't go tinfoil hat on you. I try to keep this rooted in common sense. I'll bet many of you have a generator, or I'll bet many of you are, like me, don't have a generator, but strongly considering getting one real soon. And I jumped at this chance to do an interview with Isaac, one of our forum members, one of the uh, regular listeners to this show. He's got a lot of experience with with generators. And, you know, I like to bring people on that have different areas of knowledge, especially people who listen to this show. You know, recently Cal Wilson did those two real nice interviews with um, Dr. Peter Pry on uh, EMPs and, and, and the uh, danger to the grid. You know, a lot of it was more or less the danger to the grid that we have, especially here in the United States. And I got a lot out of that. And so I had a chance to interview Isaac. Uh, he's in Montreal, Canada, to talk about generators and things. And I found this quite interesting. So have a listen. Well, joining me for an interview is one of my longtime listeners, uh, Isaac is joining me. How's it going, Isaac? Good. Yourself? I'm doing okay. Thank you for uh, volunteering to do this interview. You uh, brought this up and, and brought up a good subject, something I hadn't talked about, and that is generators. Yeah, I mean, there's something that pretty much everyone either talks about or actually makes good on. But there's a, there's a lot of different models out there, a lot of different needs, I guess you could say. And I see a lot of I see a lot of models that concern me in one way or another, so I thought it would be interesting to do a podcast just discussing how to use one, what to look for in a generator, something along those lines. The generators are important. You know, um, just if if people have been listening, just the last couple of weeks I have put out um, an interview with uh, Dr. Peter Pry that Cal Wilson was so nice to do, and he was talking a lot about, you know, the EMP threat and uh, the grid going down threat, and that's that's where a generator is really going to uh, be an absolute must. Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily say I agree with him on every issue with that podcast, but certainly the idea of having a generator for medium-term power outages is a great idea if you can afford one, obviously. Well, nobody agrees with everything that people say, so that's one of the th- reasons why I like to just kind of get people thinking. I like to put out information or let people hear information, and then you can make your own conclusion. But there are a lot of reasons uh, you might need a generator. For sure, for sure. I mean, just here in Montreal in uh, 97, the ice storm, a lot of people here uh, still heat with oil as a legacy system. The local uh, electric company has a, a great system. You put in a heat pump. And for about 90% of the time, you get your electricity dirt cheap, basically. So you can air condition all summer long to your heart's content. But around minus 10 Celsius, suddenly your electricity rate come down like punitive. You switch over to your oil burning system. And, uh, you know, a lot of people still use that system. It's still financially advantageous. But what a lot of people don't realize is, like, even your oil system, if you don't have electricity, you don't have heating in your house. It's minus 20 out. You don't have heating in your house. Your house is not going to be livable in six hours straight. That's right. 
So it's, it, it, you know, this is this is something like the local the municipal government and their infinite wisdom has uh, outlawed uh, new installations of wood stoves because, you know, they know so much more than we do about what we need. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, so, they, uh, they know, think, they know a know, lot more. Of course. Of course. They know everything. After all, they're the government. But um, <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's kind of. Yeah, that was that was a sort of the impetus for a lot of people here in Montreal to get generators. And seeing the ones that are sold, I thought it might be interesting, especially, yeah, like you said, given the last podcast, to discuss generator ownership. Well, and, you know, the opposite of what you recently said is also true. You know, if you look, if you come down here into Texas in the summertime, in August, when it's 105 or 106 and you have no air conditioning, your house is not very livable, livable in six to eight hours either. Oh, I, I don't dispute that for a second. I'm, I'm one of those people who minus, you know, around zero degrees, that, that's perfectly fine, above 20 Celsius, above about 75, 78 there. It, it just becomes unbearable. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. Yeah. If you were down here in San Antonio where I am, you wouldn't last more than uh, no, probably about five and a half or six months worth of the year. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I I found uh, yeah, you're right, you're right. I mean, I I love it here because it's generally reasonably cool, but yeah, in the hot days of summer, it becomes intolerable. But I remember when I was growing up in Wisconsin, the days of negative ten, negative fifteen, negative twenty Fahrenheit. Yep, yep. And that's oh boy. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's, oh, yep. There's a reason I haven't gone back to that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, it takes, takes a special kind of person to survive that and go, you know what, yeah, bring it on again. All right, so let's talk about generators. You said that there are All some right. there are some that you would stay away from. Obviously, there's probably some you recommend. Uh, let's start with what you would stay away from. Well, what I'll start by saying is just, you know, for the benefit of everyone who's tuning in, we're going to discuss generators as a backup power supply for your house. If you live off-grid, if you live, I don't know, $5,000 away from the nearest utility poles, if you're living on a you know on a homestead or something, if you own a tractor, none of this really applies to you. It might be useful, but you know, we're, I just want to before we begin, just really frame the discussion to you know people buying backup generators for their house. I'm glad you did. Thank you. Yeah, just you know, for your benefit and mine, when we start getting email from people living on homesteads and say, "Oh, I have a generator that's powered off my tractor's PTO or something," I mean, those are great, but you know, if you live in an urban area, that doesn't really apply to you. Uh, no, because um, my my tractor, I couldn't use my PTO on mine. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've heard. I don't own a tractor. I've heard that's one of the greatest things about owning one. I, I've heard too, but here in the suburbs of San Antonio, I don't have a tractor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, me neither. Me neither. Um, yeah, so you wanted – we said we were going to start with what to avoid. Yeah, let's let's do that. What you said that there's some that you don't like or you would want to avoid. Yeah, there's some what, what that are those? concern me. Uh, one of the okay. first things, those generators that you can basically pick up with one hand that output less than two kilowatts. I mean, those. If you live in an apartment somewhere where space is a premium, I can see the utility of one of those. And you know, certainly if you only want to power, I don't know, say one fridge for three hours a day. Again, I can see the utility of those, but. They're one of those tools that very quickly you find your, the bulk of the time you spend using the tool is spent working within the limitations of that tool or finding workarounds to the limitations of your tool. Yeah. So I would, I would be careful with those, the little ones that you can basically pick up. The other thing, you can pick up one up and carry it off you know, from an OPSEC standpoint or a security standpoint. Yeah, yeah and you said just, if it's... 
yeah, if it's less ahead. than two kilowatt output, you don't like that either, huh? No, that's again, if if you have less than two kilowatts, you you're you're very limited in what you can power. You can power a couple lights, you can power a fridge maybe, but you know, you want to power both your fridges, this is getting iffy. Uh the other thing is if it's only meant to output two kilowatts, you know, you you can't help but wondering how, how ruggedly is the thing built, how heavily is the thing built. If you're trying to run the thing, let's say you have three fridges, you can only one run fridge at a time and you want to get three hours of fridge per fridge per day. You know, you're very quickly running the thing for 12 hour plus hours a day. Is a device that's light enough you can pick up with one hand really gonna? Is it gonna last? How how strongly built is it at this point? Probably not. Yeah, it's probably not going to be very durable. That's just it. I have I have my I guess we'd say my reservations about anything about something smaller than about two kilowatts. I would say. Okay. Uh, that's a other, good. That's a good place yeah. to start. Yeah, if it's less than two. The other thing, be careful for like features that aren't really features of any serious utility. Uh, generators with wheels, for instance, you can wheel them around the job site. Well, yeah. I mean, if it's staying at your house, you're not wheeling it around the job site. The only place it's being wheeled is off your property, which is not useful to you. Right. Um, that's true. I mean, our generator fights like a banshee when I try to put it back in its uh, little cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we don't have wheels, so it really is like wrestling the machine back into its storage spot. But, you know, I wouldn't pay extra for the wheels or the folding handles. Uh, another thing I saw, I thought this was thoroughly cute, was a generator with a built-in voltmeter. Mm-hmm. Like, so that you can know that it's actually putting out 110 volts as opposed to I'm not quite sure what or what the utility of this is. Mm-hmm. Right, like you know, like an amp meter might be useful, a power factor meter might be useful. But wh- why exactly do you care? Is it outputting exactly 110 volts? Like, well, yeah, that is. Yeah, why would you be concerned about that? That's a good point. That's just it. It either the governor works and it's outputting 110, or the governor doesn't work. The thing needs servicing and it's not outputting 110. But th- this meter is not a you know, it's not adding anything useful. Okay, so here's a question for you. I yep. think most people most people have seen this. You can walk into Walmart yep. and for like about for about three hundred and fifty bucks, you can buy a four thousand watt with um, you know a couple of hundred and twenty volt yep. uh, outlets on it, and uh, you know it's yep. run, runs on propane and stuff. What do you think of those? Um, I'm not going to say they're terrible because again, there's different models, and depending on your needs, that's the other thing, right? How much money do you want to drop on a generator? Right. right, could that money not be better spent on I have no idea, food, water, band-aids, you know, your mortgage. Right. So I'm not I'm not gonna categorically say they're bad. I am right. gonna point out you wanna be careful. Um one trick I've seen happening a lot is the generator will say it's capable of say four kilowatts of output. Mm-hmm. But in reality that's like four kilowatts on only the two twenty circuit. And if you plan on using like the 220 and the 110, it drops down to two kilowatts. Or if you want to use only the 110, you have four kilowatts. But if you want to use the 220, you're... there seems to be some level of trickery going on. I would be, I wouldn't say, you know, I wouldn't say they're all lying to you, but I would actually read what it says is the output, the rated current times voltage on both the 220 and the 110 and make sure it's, I wouldn't necessarily say make sure it's the same, but make sure it's enough in both cases for your needs. Yeah, good. That's a very good point. That's one. Again, um, I saw that on one or two generators. I thought to myself, like, oh, they're deliberately uh, being misleading. Yeah, and then you got some that run on propane and some that run on gasoline. You can also buy on diesel. Yeah, there's. Again, if if you can get one that runs on propane, 
I mean, that's really nice because if you're building into your house a backup generator with a standby generator, propane is great, right? It stores more or less indefinitely. Uh, the mm-hmm. issue is if your only source of propane is like your 20-pound cylinders for your barbecue or something, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head how good your fuel mileage is going to be running on a 20-pound uh, propane cylinder for your barbecue. Probably um, not very long unless – That just did. You know, I would – yeah. yeah. Go ahead. No, no. Some people are probably going to think, well, I could just have, you know, um, you know, five or six of these bottles around. But I'd rather have four gallons of gasoline in the thing and uh, and run off of that, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah. Again, we ours runs on gas specifically because, again, yes, if you look in post-disaster time, yeah, you have to scrum for gas. You have to go to long lineups for gas. But at the same time, we're using it propane at all. Right, like it's it's one thing you have a thousand gallon tank on the property already. I mean, great mm-hmm. for you. In that case, propane makes perfect sense, and I would recommend it. But right. if you don't already have the resource on hand, yeah, why why are you adding an extra dimension of complexity to your system? Right, when you can be storing gas, and gas isn't all that difficult to store, yep. and as long as you rotate it, you're fine. Yep, pretty much. Uh, you can also buy diesel generators. Um, yep. Generally speaking, these are marketed more for, again, people living off-grid. Uh, diesel is more efficient, obviously. I mean, it's welcome to the wonderful world of diesel. Uh, problem is, again, getting diesel fuel, storing diesel fuel right now. If, you're, yeah. if your vehicles run on gas, now you're storing two fuels, you're rotating two fuels. Uh, diesel needs a different stabilizer. You need different accessories. Also, diesel generators, they can be more expensive. They're, they are generally harder wearing. I won't say categorically. But they generally last longer. They work at lower RPMs. They're they're generally better. But again, they're marketed by and large to people living off grid who, you know, the extra cost up front is more than made up for in the cost of operation, the cost of ownership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to diss them. They're great things. But um, if you're looking for a turnkey solution, they're more expensive than they're worth. Okay. What else concerns you? Um, that would be the big ones. Uh, let's see. Um, be careful what your uh, what the uh, gen- what the uh, motor is. Who the makes the motor? Um, uh, ours is made by uh, I forget if it, by a Briggs and Stra- by Briggs and Stratton, mm-hmm. right? You can get you can get reputable good. brands. You can get Briggs. You can get Tecumseh. You can get uh, Hondas. Even those are really nice. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the other end of the spectrum, you can get really cheap, um, poorly made China Mart. Uh, little gasoline engines made into the generator. You know, I'm not I'm not going to say they're all bad, but certainly something you want to look for, something I would be concerned about is who made the actual gasoline engine. Right? When mm-hmm. you're running this thing, you don't want it throwing a rod or something. That that would be your own little miniature catastrophe. Yeah, and unless you're good at small engine repair, you're you just added another catastrophe on top of another. That's just it. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to say, you know, oh, you have to own the Tecumseh. I'm not going to be the gear snob, but you know, certainly purchase one by a reputable manufacturer, someone you've heard of, someone who has a history of making small motors. So what do you say is the average amount of money that most people are going to spend on what you consider a decent generator? I would look I would be prepared to spend on the order of five hundred dollars. You know, I yeah, mean it's I, I would not I would not look to buy more than ten kilowatts. Okay? Ten more than okay. ten kilowatt generators have a, quite a few problems from the sta- again from the standpoint of someone looking to buy a backup generator. Not you know if you're on your homestead that's your problem. Um, if you're off grid that's your issues. But if you're just looking for a backup generator, once you go above 10 kilowatts, the opportunity costs start to really stack up. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Above, above 10 kilowatts, firstly, they start to get very expensive. Right? The cost starts to go up quickly. And again, there's the opportunity cost. I could spend that money on other preps, if nothing else. Yeah, you can do that. And then you can also... Um you know, uh, not only spend them on other preps, but then you're going to probably have to, the more you're trying to power, the yep. more fuel you're going to have to feed into that thing. Yeah, you've got fuel storage issues. The other things I've seen with 10, above 10 kilowatts, you very quickly, the, the amount of compression, the amount of displacement starts to get problematic, right? You may not have trouble with it, but imagine, say, your wife or your child or your daughter or your son needs to right. start this thing. Above 10 kilowatts, the amount of manual effort it takes starts to very important, very quickly become, I wouldn't say insurmountable to be sure, but certainly it starts to become problematic. Uh, above 10 kilowatts, a lot of generators come with an electric start. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only is this adding complexity to the generator and cost to the generator, but now you have to buy basically it's like a lawnmower battery for your generator to start it. Yeah, something else that can go wrong, too. Exactly, something else to go wrong, another piece of maintenance you need to keep on top of. These aren't hideously expensive, but they're not cheap either. Here, they're 50 bucks plus core charge, and, you know, you're going to need one every two, three years. Mm-hmm. Right, you're adding, you're adding cost, you're adding complexity, you're adding, uh, you're, it may not, you know, the, the manually starting may prove excessively difficult. Like you said, your fuel consumption is starting to go up. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're, if, uh, you know, one of the first things I suggest if you're thinking of buying a generator is figuring out how much load you really need to run. And if your answer is above 10 kilowatts, I would take a serious look at, you know, either minimizing stuff or maybe not running everything at once, saying, I will never run this fridge at the same time as this fridge or something. Well, how do you figure what, or how do you suggest to pick people figure what load they're going to run? Well, Start with the absolute essentials, right? You want to be able to run your fridges and your freezers. You want to be able to keep your frozen food frozen. Um, If nothing else, the financial loss of having an entire freezer worth of food melt on you can be very problematic. Yep, it could could cost you more than the generator does. Pretty much. Um, If you're heating with oil or natural gas, uh, natural gas not so much. You're going to need to run the control panel. Oil, you got to run the blower, or else the motor won't, or else the pumps. uh, You got to run the blower, and if you have pumps, the pumps. Otherwise, nothing's going to happen. So that I would say that would be your absolute essential load. Then you're going to probably want some lighting, and um, then it becomes more optional, right? But you know, think of everything. Do I need to run my electric garage door opener? Well, probably. My dishwasher, no. probably not. Um, clothes dryer, definitely not. No. Uh, washing machine, mm, I don't think so. Mm, not, right. not likely. Exactly. So you have to, you know, I would suggest people start by figuring out their critical loads that have to be powered for at least some part of the day. You don't need to run your freezer 24-7. You do need to run it for, I would estimate, four hours a day. Your mileage will vary. It depends on how much you're going to open the freezer, too. That's just it, how much you're opening it, how hot the ambient temperature is. The same for your furnace burners. I mean, it's. I would start by figuring out what's a critical load, what's an important load, what's at best a secondary load. And then thanks to the number of people converting to green energy now, it's very easy if you look online to find estimates for how much power any given load is taking. Mm-hmm. Uh, your fridge or freezer, it's legally required to come with a sticker that says how much energy it uses. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right, so you can you can fairly quickly figure out about how much power you're actually going to draw, and you can space that out, right? I mean, not necessarily your furnace blower, but certainly, you know, you do need to run all your freezers or fridges for a certain amount of time every day, but you don't need to run them all at once. So you might say, I'm only going to run this for this time block and this for this time block. You can schedule it. 
Yeah, and so, you know, this is just like planning any other kind of prep. You know, you need to kind of think about what is best for you, what is most likely yeah, what to happen. And, and not yeah. only that, you need to figure out what is it that you're going to run with that generator. What's the yeah. most likely most likely scenario, uh, and what are you going to have to run? What, yeah, what sure. appliances and, and what things are you going to have to power up? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, a few other points. If you're going to run your generator, you have to decide – I would suggest you decide more or less when you buy the generator. Am I going to have this wired into the house wiring, or am I going to um, be powering things by extension cords? Right, if, you're, yeah. if you're planning to do the extension cord thing, while you buy the generator, buy yourself two or three hundred foot extension cords. Buy yourself good ones. You know, save yourself mm-hmm. the agony. Uh, if you want to power your whole house, please do it properly. If you're not, if you don't know how to do it, hire an electrician to install a transfer switch. You know, you don't want your your generator is supposed to power your house, not your neighborhood. You do not want to be back feeding electricity into the grid. You can hurt or kill people working on the grid. You can end up powering your neighbor's house or doing other funny stuff. You can damage your <laughs> generator. Like, I mean, we laugh, but you know, like if you go on survival blog or something, there's typically some nutcase talking about making an extension cord that's a male-to-male extension cord, so he can back feed power from his generator into the house. Yeah, you know, they, yeah I know. They, there's a nickname for those suicide cords. There's a reason why. Okay, like make the decision. A good transfer box will unfortunately be expensive. You can expect to pay five hundred dollars, depending on how much an electrician costs in your area. But I mean, this is you know you got you got to make that decision at some point. And if your decision is I'm going to power my house like a whole house style generator, please do it properly. Please do it safely. Please don't endanger everyone around you. Now, if somebody is going to do that, what, how much output power do you normally uh, suggest for the average size house? Uh, again, I'm assuming you're not buying a standby generator. I'm assuming you're really buying this for emergencies only. And, you know, people's electricity use will reflect the fact that these are emergency hours. Uh, again, anywhere between 2 and 10 would be a reasonable number. Yeah, okay, so you're still with that, between that 2 and 10. Yeah, again, if you're, if you're looking for a whole house generator, something to power either to recharge your battery bank as you're off-grid or something to full-on power your house, that's different. That's your electricity use. Then you really can't schedule things as much because you're expected to live a reasonably normal life. Right. But that's, I, I think that's a different discussion altogether. Yeah, that is a different discussion. All right, so... Um what, tell us what you've got. Do you mind? No, no not at all. We have a uh, the generator, the motor is a 10-horsepower Briggs & Stratton. It's mated to a Coleman self uh, – pretty much all generators nowadays are self-exciting. I've yet to see one that actually requires external excitation. Uh, it's mm-hmm. mated to a 10-kilowatt self-exciting uh, generator. Okay. And we had, um, we had the whole thing wired into the house wiring. So, so, that, so that's your plan? So that's your plan? And a 220-volt plug. Basically, the house has a 220-volt plug that plugs into the generator. So that's your plan. Your plan is to run your whole house. Well, our plan is to energize the entire house's electrical system. I won't necessarily say we plan to run the whole house in the sense that, like, neither, you know, I'm not running my computer and, you know, soaking up an obscene amount of power to play video games or something. But mm-hmm. yes, we do. We do intend to energize the entire house's electrical circuitry. We don't. We don't plan on doing the extension cord thing. Okay. So you're not. You're not doing the extension cord, running just a few appliances here and there, and some well, lighting. You're. You're doing. You're 
you're energizing as much as the ho- of the whole house as you possibly can. To some extent, this really wasn't really negotiable because things like the um, the furnace blower are um, hardwired to the house's electrical system. There would be no, I mean, certainly it could be done, but there's no self-evident easy way to um, route power through an extension cord to, say, the furnace blower without um, rewiring parts of it, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I certainly would not say it couldn't be done in an emergency. I could do it, but, you know, this was not horrendously expensive, and we have a, it's basically a turnkey solution for on the order of $500 for the and, electric, not the generator. Yeah, well, and, how mu- and, and that's pretty good. And then your generator was how much? Probably on the order of five to 700 We got it right after the ice storm when everyone else was trying to buy them, too. Yeah. So uh, I wouldn't say we were buying it at crisis prices. We didn't buy it during the ice storm, but we got it fairly shortly thereafter. So we probably did end up paying some level of inflated price. It was probably around seven hundred, I would guess. Okay. So you, so in total, you got about a twelve hundred dollars solution. Yeah. For about twelve hundred dollars, we have a turnkey solution, which again okay. may be expensive to some people, and you don't you don't need transfer switch. You can do the extension cord thing. And you don't need a full 10 kilowatts. You can get by with four or five and a little planning. But, I mean, for us, this was a full turnkey solution. Yeah. See, I see myself probably with a 4,000 or 5,000 kilowatt using, you know, three or four extension cords. Yeah, my understanding is it doesn't get so cold there that people are dependent on the electrical grid for heating. Not for heating, no. Like I said, for air conditioning in the summer, we sure do. Yeah. I mean, air conditioning, without air conditioning, it quickly becomes unpleasant, but I think it becomes life-threatening. I mean, here where I live in South Texas, uh, it's to me, the summertime is scarier than the winter because the summertime, you know, there's a lot of people that will die from heat exposure and heat stroke yeah. versus, you know, we, we, don't, we don't have the, uh, the highly dangerous uh, sub-zero uh, winter weather. It just doesn't well, happen. We had actually a week ago, I thought it was so apropos, the, the night we were supposed to do this interview – um, while I was trying to get work done on the computer, about, it was about minus 15 out, and about three times the power went out for about a minute while some yeah, line wow. overloaded and power had to be rerouted. So, you know, I mean, it's, I wouldn't necessarily say if the power's out for an hour, I'm going to fire up the generator. But certainly this is exactly the sort of situation right when you're most dependent on the grid is also when it's at its most loaded and most likely to go out on you. And let's talk about another threat that I think generators are are really good for and you know i mean let's face it you know the uh, terrorism has now come back to the united states or maybe it really never even left but you know it's it's so easy for terrorists to really wreak some serious havoc on uh, even just a local uh, power grid well see there i would say a sense of proportion is important yes wreaking havoc at a local level is trivially easy we saw that in california when someone basically shot up a substation and they didn't knock out power to a uh, area just because they were basically they were unlucky and california was able to reroute power but yeah mm-hmm. we essentially saw that at a local level dealing damage to the electrical grid is trivially easy on a larger scale um, on either a serious grid size or on a um, – the United States grid, if I recall correctly, is divided into five separate um, – what's called super grids for the purpose of uh, this conversation. You know, even, even if you did like an NCIS style and knocked out the nodes where the super grids meet, the grids themselves would still work fine by themselves more or less. I mean, you'd have rolling blackouts or something. So 
I think a sense of proportion is important, but yes, the, the idea of a local or perhaps regional scale there being power disruptions because of terrorism is certainly something that we should consider. Yeah. Right. And it's just the national or, you know, multi-state-wide long-term blackouts that I think people overstate slightly. You do? Okay. We'll talk a little bit about well, that. Why I, do you think they're overstated? Well, I wouldn't say they're overstated to an enormous extent. I think they're overstated to a certain extent in that let's consider fundamentally there are five – the U.S. grid is divided into five regions, let's call them. There's the Northeast, which actually extends into Ontario and other parts of Canada. There's the Central. Texas has its own grid. Go figure why. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the West. Oh, we're, we're an independent people. Yeah, yeah, well, good on you. You know what? Because, again, the way the supergrids work is that areas with excessive generating capacity can sell either within their grid or to neighboring grids to areas with inadequate generating capacity. So, for example, mm-hmm. Texas can sell electricity to New York. But at the at the same time, you know, there there is not an enormous deficit in any – there's not such an enormous deficit in any region – that destroying the nodes that link these supergrids would just, you know, cause total disaster, right? Yeah, the power would be out in the entire grid for a little while while the imbalance is sorted out. And yeah, until the node could be repaired, which admittedly could take months. People say, you know, long-term, you know, major infrastructure repairs to the grid take forever. They're, they're not lying. They're absolutely right. Major repairs do take forever. But the idea that in isolation these supergrid regions would just be in total blackout is not entirely well-founded. Right, that there is enough generating capacity that, we, assuming we would be willing to accept rolling blackouts or something similar, you know, no, no one would be in the, in the dark indefinitely. At least in my opinion. Um, we had a little bit of a <clears throat> connection issue there. You said you felt that no one would be in the dark. What? More or less indefinitely. You know, there, there would may not be rolling blackouts because there'd be a shortage of generated power. There would probably be a decrease in the quality of the delivered power. And again, people are right when they say that you know this is this critical infrastructure for critical parts are in short supply. They're, they're correct in that assessment as well. I just I mean, the pessimistic you could destroy the entire U.S. power grid by taking out a few key electrical pylons or something similar is overstated. Okay, so you don't think that, that you think that's pretty overstated, and you don't think that indefinite uh, loss of power is a very high likelihood. Well, I don't think domestic terrorism would trigger indefinite loss of power. Yeah. Okay. Which is, again, which is not to say that local or regional loss of power through terrorism is at all an unreasonable thing to prepare for. On the contrary. I think it's quite possible, actually. Yeah, on a a local or regional scale, again, we've seen things like hurricanes and ice storms leave people without power for two or three weeks. Yeah, we have. Right? It's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm anyway daring people prepare for a loss of electricity, just pointing out that the the entire United States being in the park for six months, you know, short of EMP or something similar, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you on that. Okay, well, back to generators, because I want to yeah. wrap it up in about five or six minutes, but sure. what else would you say to people that are, like, shopping for their first generator? Um, probably the most important thing is a generator is not a magical solution. You, we test ours twice a year. You should test yours about the, at least that often. Mm-hmm. How do you test it? Um, fill it up with a reasonable amount of fuel. We typically buy 2 or $3 worth of fuel, which is a problem because the price of fuel is never the same every six, in six months from now. So 
Nope. You know, buy on the order of maybe a gallon at the most of fuel. Add in your stabilizer to the fuel. You don't want this turning into turpentine. You don't want – there will invariably be a bit of fuel left in the tank. You don't want that turning into turpentine over six months. So put right. in the right amount of stabilizer. Pour it into your generator. Fire up your generator. And then load your generator. We mow the lawn with well, off the power from ours just so that it's actually working. The goal is to work the generator, not to carbon up the head. Okay. So run your generator. When you're done mowing your lawn or whatever, if the generator is still running, let it run until it runs out of fuel and stalls. Okay, Don't, do not leave fuel in the carburetor. If you leave any fuel in the carburetor, it's going to turn to gum. It's going to gum up the carburetor jet. It will not start the next time you need it to start, and you're going to have, again, your own mini shit hit the fan. It's not going to start when you need it the most. Exactly. You, you know, you've you got to leave it in a ready-to-run condition, and that means at an absolute minimum it needs to be run dry the last time you used it. Okay, good point. Um, also, while you're buying your generator, buy, again, buy yourself stabilizer. Stabil is not expensive. A bottle, $10 bottle will treat more than enough fuel. Right? Always put stable in the fuel. Even if, you, even if you know, the stink has hit the fan, you're running your generator, put the stabilizer in the fuel. It costs you nothing, and it guarantees if the power comes back on and you forget to drain the tank, it's not going to be quite as catastrophic the next time you go to use it. You don't want to put too much in there, though. No, I mean, follow the directions on the package, obviously. Exactly. Um, your generator, again, it, it's an internal combustion engine. It has consumables. The Generally, I've heard you change the oil every 50 running hours. Um, we do that. Your generator did not come with a running meter, and it probably won't. Very few do. Um, you're going to have to keep track of it manually. Every 50 running hours or so, you should change the, the generally. I've heard every 50 hours. That's what I go by. I don't know if that's the right number. Okay. Uh, your owner's manual will say what oil you should be using, generally based on what temperature you think you're going to run the generator at. So, again, okay. you're going to have to make an approximation. Make sure you have spare oil on hand. You know, a spare spark plug on hand is a good precaution. Having, uh, yeah, spare oil, spare fuel filter. Most generators have a fuel filter in line. If that thing clogs, you're going to have problems, so you want to have a spare. Bear spark plug, you know, it's an internal combustion engine. You should have the tools to maintain such a thing. Or well, you know, you're, and you're talking about you're talking about having consumables that people will also have for their lawnmowers and for you know small garden tractors and things like that. For sure, for sure. I mean, I'm, for people who don't have any, call it fact, you do need to buy the consumables that go with this thing. It's not it's not a magical solution. Right. You're going to need oil. you're going to need a jerry can if you don't already have one to move fuel. Like very few gas stations will fill up random containers, obviously for safety reasons. Right, correct. Have the right kind of gas containers. Yeah, have have an accepted gas container. I'm not going to comment on those stupid carb containers that California mandates. <laughs> those are terrible. Everyone yeah. knows that you can reduce sloshing through an unvented container that sloshes fuel everywhere. Um, and um, one other thing, have get yourself a good length of heavy gauge chain, like motorcycle chain or something, and a solid padlock. Mm-hmm. Right? You're gonna when your generator is running, you're gonna want to chain it to some immovable object just for that extra bit of insurance that it's not gonna disappear off the property. And when you're storing it, if you're storing it in a shed or an outbuilding, likewise, you don't want this thing migrating off the property. You know, you brought up a good point because you know if you've got a regional disaster and you got unprepared people as i've always said they're always going to be coming for your stuff so you definitely want to have it secured 
Yeah, I mean, ours, we, you know, I'm not, actually, I'm not going to go into that. I don't want to discuss how we store ours beyond what I've already yeah. said. No, you don't. But, um, yeah, you do, you do, you want to chain it to an immovable object. I'm, I'm not necessarily saying lay a concrete pad, sink an eye bolt into it. You know, uh, no, no, this is going a little too far, but certainly chain it to some immovable object so that it's there when you come back. Yeah, secure it. Secure it reasonably. Yeah, exactly. You know, f- find a reasonable comp. <clears throat> You know, just like you might, you know, chain anything else up in your garage or, you pretty know, chain it uh, to outside of your house or whatever. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not necessarily sure about the advisability of running it in your garage if you have an attached garage. I mean, it will produce exhaust fumes. You do need to deal with that. Yeah, I, no, that's I, not what I meant. I didn't mean running it in your garage. I'm just saying. As, oh, when you're storing you, it. When you when you're storing or, or as you would typically secure something in your garage. Oh, okay, okay, I understand. My well. apologies, yes. I misunderstood. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, and actually, but I, but I'm 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 actually glad that I that I said that and and maybe said something misleading because you don't you know you don't want to run it in your garage. No, this again, this thing will produce carbon monoxide. Uh, this you know, unfortunately, here in Canada. Every year, a few people, the power goes out, and they try and heat their house by bringing their barbecue into the house, and it leads to predictably nice. tragic consequences. Oh, my goodness. Please don't be that person. Yeah. Uh, don't be that uh, guy. This, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Please don't be that person. Okay. Good. This uh, Good stuff, Isaac. Um, this, you know... You, without getting too complicated and too technical, you've given some good advice here on generators. Well, I'm always happy to share what I know. I don't pretend yeah, to know you, everything, but I'm happy to share what I do know. And for people who don't know, uh, I've had Isaac on before. It was a couple of years ago. We were talking about communications. Oh, yeah, that. Yeah, no, I still have those Motorola's. They were, uh, they're great. I was going to ask you about those Motorola's. You still have them, huh? Yeah, I, I found they've become very difficult to find on eBay, actually, in any um, reasonable price and condition. Um, I think yeah. the market has more or less dried up as far as refurbished phones has gone. So, yeah. uh, you know, if, if you're still looking for them, you know, I would move I would move that up on the priorities list. But um, they work great. Uh, the one thing I will point out, though, is that also finding replacement batteries for them has become a problem. Right? It I used to imagine, be that... Yeah. It used to be you could buy commercial lots of 20 or 50 batteries for quite reasonable prices. Now I'm having a hard time. Nothing wrong with my batteries, but I've always wanted to buy an extra battery for each radio. And uh, I'm having a hard time now tracking them down on eBay at a, a reasonable price. So you, wanna... you know, just be aware if you're looking into Motorola i355s or something similar that they're becoming hard to find and so are the accessories. Good. Well, people should know Isaac goes by Atomic on the forum, and as usual, when this podcast airs, I'm going to start a um, a thread in a sub forum uh, for this episode. So uh, you might want to, if you guys got questions and things uh, beyond this podcast, jump on the forum. Thank you, Isaac. Good stuff. I'm sure you probably have some questions. I am going to put a thread in the subforum that's called Questions and Comments About Podcasts at today's Survival Show Forum. So if you want to communicate with Isaac, a couple different ways you can do it if you want to ask some questions. You can join the forum. Uh, just click the forum button at todayssurvival.com. Remember, there's two S's in my website address, todayssurvival.com. If you are not signed up for the forum and you do sign up, 
Send me a quick email, bob at todayssurvival.com. Let me know what your username is, and I'll get your account approved very quickly, usually in less than 12 hours. I also have a Today's Survival Show Facebook page. Don't forget about the Facebook page. Just go on to Facebook, log on, and search Today's Survival Show. You'll find it. And I always post a link for every episode on that Facebook page. Because I don't have any sponsors. If you like what I do, if this show helps you, guess what? You don't even have to pay any extra money to support me. But if you wouldn't mind, make your Amazon purchases through the Today's Survival Show Amazon store. Just go to my website, todayssurvival.com, click the Amazon store page and make all your purchases that way. You'll see a link there that you can't miss. And let Amazon pay me. Or you can join the Shooters Club if you want to learn how to shoot guns better. You can watch a lot of really cool videos for only $8 a month. It's it's really cool. And, you know, my friend Ben Branham and I, we put together a really good site. 47 videos, 10 audio podcasts. A little bit of preparedness information on there. Most of it is on shooting firearms, defending yourself and uh, maintaining them and things like that. Pretty good. Pretty good stuff that preppers ought to know. So, you know, for 8 bucks a month, that's another way that you can support me. When you go to the website, you'll see over there in the right-hand margin just exactly how to sign up for that. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to another episode of today's Survival Show. It's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. I'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>